Welcome to Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm your host, Jim Dubois. President Donald Trump is taking credit for the current state of the economy, citing low unemployment and robust economic growth. But the president's trade wars are stirring controversy. This week, the second part of our conversation with University of Minnesota economics professor Timothy Kehoe about the impact of tariffs and trade tensions on Minnesota's farmers and big box retailers. We'll also discuss General Motors' recent announcement that it will close domestic assembly plants and lay off thousands of workers. We sat down with Professor Kehoe at his office at the U of M. Professor Kehoe, welcome back to Dialogue Minnesota. It's good to be back, Jim. Let's talk a little bit about your mention that the tariffs of the 1930s may have helped precipitate World War II. Right now, we see rising tensions between the U.S. and China, not only over trade, but also over territorial issues, especially in the South China Sea. Can we safely say that sometimes economic policy could help portend a future war? Uh, Yes, Uh, that's definitely the case. And the U.S. restrictions on trade with Japan definitely were one of the things that led to the uh, attack on uh, Pearl Harbor. And just the general atmosphere of uh, nationalism, us against you, was something that created lots of tensions. Now, let me mention something related to that. The incidents with U.S. ships trying to maintain rights of uh, free passage on open sea versus China. My, my father was a naval officer, so that's something I follow very closely, but I'm not an expert on that. So I'm going to try to keep with the trade side of things. We have complaints. American producers have complaints against the way the Chinese do business. Used to be official Chinese policy that to uh, invest in China so as to access this huge and growing market of consumers that the U.S. producer would need to have a Chinese partner and it need to share our technology, our trade secrets, our uh, technology secrets and so forth with the Chinese partner. Now that turns out to be against WTO rules And so that the Chinese don't have that as official policy anymore, but they have it as unofficial policy. And exactly how intellectual property rights work and so forth, there's points of disagreement between the United States and China on that. But my view is the best way to handle that would be to act in concert with our allies, Who do I mean here? I mean Canada, Mexico, and the Europeans, and the Japanese, the members of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, to act in concert with them to put on pressure on China to act in concordance with their commitments through the WTO. That would be the right way, in my view, to handle it. Starting trade wars is not the way to handle it. That's going to generate lots of anger in both the United States and in China. President Trump is fond of couching his policies in terms of winning or losing. Who wins and who loses in these trade wars? Well, this is my point. And I do not know how real estate works in Manhattan or in uh, the New York area. 
so I don't really have a feel for where Mr. Trump is coming from on this issue, that uh, there's always a winner and loser, and that President Trump uh, wanted Justin Trudeau with this thing we were talking about with dairy to know that we, that is uh, Mr. Trump in the United States, won and Mr. Trudeau and the Canadians lost. In general, trade agreements are meant to be set up so everybody wins. Trade war, everyone loses. There are gains from trade. When I go to the uh, supermarket and uh, buy my vegetables rather than growing them in the backyard, I win and the uh, vegetable producer wins. This is the oldest principle in economics. I'd say it goes back to Adam Smith, but it was well understood by the Greeks in ancient times. So with trade, everyone should win. With trade wars, everybody loses. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the impact on Minnesota. Obviously, soybean farmers have been hurt by the tariffs against China. Also concerns about retailing, and of course, Minnesota is home to the Target Corporation. How will these tariffs potentially impact farmers and retailers and ultimately consumers? Minnesota is going to get affected by all aspects of the trade war and the uh, renegotiation of the NAFTA, the USMCA. We're not in the same situation as Michigan and so forth, depending on uh, construction of automobile and uh, automobile components. So there are producers of automobile components here, but that's not the primary focus. Our farmers depend on exports to both China and Mexico. Soybeans, wheat, corn, soybeans especially in the case of China, soybeans also for Mexico, but wheat and corn and so forth, pork belly. I mean, we export a lot, the farmers, and they are at the forefront of this war. And I've seen quotes uh, from farmers saying that they're suffering, but they're willing to do it. It's their patriotic duty. It's going to help us win this war. I think that's extraordinarily naive. President Trump is going to give them some aid uh, in the short run, but this is going to hurt the farm industry. There's an international market for soybeans. There's an international market for corn. If Chinese importers of soybeans switch to Brazil and Argentina, they already import a lot from those countries, but as they import more, when the trade war is resolved, they're not going to come back to the United States. When Mexican corn importers switch from the United States to, curiously, Brazil. So Brazil and agricultural markets for the kind of things the U.S. uh, and particularly Minnesota produces is our competitor. If they set up the whole infrastructure to import from Brazil, when problems are resolved, they're not going to switch back to Minnesota. So no, the Minnesota farmers who... uh, are thinking they're doing their patriotic duty. Uh, It's not going to help the United States, and it's certainly not going to help them. We're talking with Timothy Kehoe. He's a professor of economics at the University of Minnesota and is an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. His opinions are his own and do not reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank and the Federal Reserve System. How will trade wars and tariffs potentially impact major Minnesota retailers such as Target and Best Buy? That's a great question. But there's still a lot of uncertainty. I cannot uh, give you 
uh, definitive answer, but the uncertainty itself is a problem. So Target, Best Buy, especially Target, Walmart even more, that doesn't have a big footprint in Minnesota, as big as it has in some other states, but I'll think of it more for big retailers in the United States in general, with particular emphasis on Target and Best Buy because they are located here, do a lot of sourcing from countries like China. And a trade war is going to cause them to either search for new suppliers or have to drastically raise their prices. And so this is the concern. And in some ways, if prices are going to go up because of a trade war, it would be better for the uh, buyers, for the executives over at Target to be able to start planning now. If the bad news is going to happen, the uncertainty ahead of time just is more bad news because people cannot start making decisions. And there have been economic studies that show that if we are going to have to pay a lot more for goods we purchase from China or pay a lot more to buy them from somewhere else, not necessarily the United States. A lot of the industries that we're talking about where we purchase uh, goods from uh, Asia are goods that we don't particularly produce in the United States anymore. And to bring those back, for example, garment industry, it's imaginable that we could bring some of that back, but I doubt it. After NAFTA, for example, the U.S. textile industry was producing textiles, especially cotton, and sending it to Mexico when it was made into uh, shirts and uh, and the kind of garments that uh, you and I have on now, Jim. I don't know if you remember that, but I thought it was very interesting in the 1990s, in the very beginning of the 2000s, if you took a look at your shirt, it would have said made in Mexico. But you see, China and some other countries in East Asia where Chinese corporations operate, they are the major suppliers of uh, garments to the United States now. We still purchase garments from the United States, but not to the extent we did 20 years ago. So even that industry has disappeared from Mexico because wages in Mexico are higher than they are in China. So we'd have to shift. That will lead to higher prices, that will make it more difficult for a target to operate. People still have to buy clothing, but they'll buy less. And I'm using clothing as an example because it is a major one. This extends to uh, other industries as well. And we're going to be hurt by inflation. And, you know, the economic studies that I started to mention, it turns out that, uh, and this is something a number of economists have noticed, that the uh, sorts of things that uh, we purchase through big retailers in this country, and I mean Target, but I also mean Walmart, are goods that have a bigger weight in the expenditures of people with less income. So the trade war with China is going to hurt the middle class and poorer Americans more than it will the upper middle class or rich Americans. President Trump and China's President Xi Jinping seem to have reached a temporary truce in their ongoing trade dispute, although there's considerable confusion over the terms of that truce. Are you at all optimistic that this pause in the trade war may give the leaders the time necessary to forge a trade agreement that both countries can live with? I am doubtful about a trade agreement. 
during this 90-day cooling-off period. There's even disagreement on when the 90 days started or will start. We were scheduled to put significant tariffs on a very much bigger range of imports from China at the very beginning of 2019. Now, that's been pushed back. Tariffs are hurting the Chinese and they're hurting us Americans. So anything that pushes that back and gives reality more time, and the reality is that no one wins a trade war, anything that's going to give us more time is good. But I do not see at this point any kind of agreement between the United States and China. There's a simple reality here that seems to be lost on President Trump and his economic advisors. When the Chinese, or the people in any country, receive U.S. dollars for goods they sell us, they have to decide what to do with those dollars. And they can buy our goods. And there is uh, some feeling in the uh, Trump administration that that's what they should be doing, and we have to set up some mechanism by which they have to do that. But let's suppose they don't buy our goods. What do they do with the dollars? And, of course, they can spend them in another country, and then they come back to the United States. But that's very secondary here. What they do with the dollars is they buy U.S. assets, particularly U.S. government bonds. And that's something that the Chinese have been doing all of this 21st century. That's helped keep uh, interest rates low in the United States. And it also means that when the um, Trump administration slashes business taxes, as it did last year, without slashing spending, it means there's somebody to lend us the money to pay for our ballooning deficit. Having the Chinese buy our goods rather than buy our bonds is not something that's going to promote financial stability and low interest rates in the United States. Let's talk about some other issues right now impacting the economy. The unemployment rate in the U.S. fell to a 50-year low in October, and there are many other signs of a strong economy. How would you rate the current economy, and why, in a supposedly strong economy, has the stock market taken a rather significant decline recently? Let's uh, put this in context. We went through a severe recession that uh, we date from uh, the very end of 2007 through 2009, the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, are the arbiters of exactly what the dates of recessions are. So we could call it the 2007-2009 recession. Some people, including some economists, but journalists and so forth, like to call it the Great Recession. I don't see anything particularly great about it. It wasn't even that much... Worse, In fact, in all kinds of dimensions, it wasn't worse uh, than the back-to-back recessions that hit the United States in uh, 1981-83. But we went through this recession. What characterized it was almost every country in the world was in the recession at the same time. I call it the global recession for that reason. And the world economy has never really recovered from it. So if we look at a plot of uh, fundamental indicators for the United States. After recessions, typically, 
always over the last 130 years, after a severe recession, we grow faster for a significant period of time to get back to where we would have been if the recession hadn't occurred. We go back to the same growth path. That has not happened here. So because of this recession, we as Americans are about 10% poorer than uh, we would have been if that recession had never occurred. So just to put it in context, we're growing at an average rate now, but we've never, after the 2007, 2009, and in other countries even later than that, we've never had that really fast growth to make up lost ground. So we've never made up the lost ground. Now, how about the labor market? Labor market's doing well in terms of unemployment, not in terms of how many people actually have jobs. A lot of people left the workforce and haven't really come back. So the U.S. in 2000, beginning of 2001, we had much higher fraction of working-age Americans had jobs then and have it now. So let's keep that unemployment figure in context there. And we're not getting the wage growth. Now, last quarter, we did have wage growth. But in this whole period of kind of feeble recovery we've been going through, there's been, except for this past quarter, there's been no significant wage growth. So the recovery of the U.S. has not really benefited uh, workers. Of course, that's a source of discontent with lots of workers, and rightfully so. The U.S. is doing well now. We're not doing extraordinarily well by historical standards. Certainly not the way we were in the, uh, in the 90s or some parts of the 80s or the 60s. 70s wasn't great. Like me, you're old enough to remember the 70s. Yes. The 70s was not a great period. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, the U.S. has done pretty darn well, and we're doing about average now. But that's true of the whole world economy. Chinese growth is slowing down. Uh, Europe is recovering from its own recession and not really strongly recovering. This is why a trade war scares me, because the whole world economy is a bit fragile right now. We're talking with Timothy Kehoe. He's a professor of economics at the University of Minnesota and is an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. His opinions are his own and do not reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank and the Federal Reserve System. Do we need to be concerned about the recent gyrations in the stock market? No. If I understood the stock market, I'm not sure I'd be an economics professor. I'd go out and invest some money and make a fortune. But I even know uh, why that's extraordinarily, I'm not Warren Buffett, but that's extraordinarily difficult to do. And people like you and me should put our money into uh, retirement funds, perhaps indexed retirement funds, and just let the money sit there. The stock market does go up over time. Timing, getting in and out, is not something that I know how to do, and I really don't think many people know how to do. However, the Fed lent an extraordinary amount of money to banks and uh, non-bank financial institutions, investment institutions, during our global recession 10 years ago. We've had interest rates close to zero. We have to start uh, uh, selling those assets. 
all those assets hitting the market are going to drive the price down. That drives interest rates up. I'm speaking as an economist. You mentioned at the beginning, I'm an advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, but nothing I'm saying is meant to convey uh, anything about current Fed policy. It is meant just to explain what anyone who follows the financial page and U.S. economic policy can tell you. As we raise interest rates, and uh, this means fixed asset prices are going down in value, that has a tendency to slow down the economy, but that has to be done at some point. I'm not sure how long the process is going to go on as we get closer to what could be a recession or certainly an adjustment. As you said, in 2018 or I'm putting what you said into different words, in 2018, the stock market's down on the year. It's not that we're in any big boom, and it's because investors see this slowing coming down, and they're worried about things like trade wars. So it's very likely that we're going to see a significant uh, slowing, and the right combination of factors right combination. Perhaps I should say wrong combination, like a perfect storm. (laughs) If that does occur, we might be in for another recession. General Motors recently announced that it will close several plants in the U.S. and lay off more than 14,000 employees as it changes its strategic direction. The automaker has also seen its production costs significantly increase in the wake of the tariffs placed on steel imports. How will the plant closures and job losses impact the overall economy? And is GM's decision purely strategic, or did trade issues also play a role? So the immediate impact of losing 15,000 jobs in uh, GM plants in the United States and in Canada, there's a plant in uh, Canada that's going to be closed, is in itself significant but not disastrous. What does this portend? I think there is, getting back to the topic of uncertainty, there is uncertainty in the U.S. automobile industry of whether the way that Americans, and now it's spread throughout the world, Americans get by using their personal automobiles all the time. I think that GM is exploring or taking a little bit of a bet on self-driving cars, shared cars, and so forth, which would mean they'd have to move towards producing different kind of vehicles, retooling, and so forth. And I think that's certainly an aspect of what's going on, that GM wants to explore the options if we move away from the one two-car family model to a model with more ride-sharing, more self-driven cars, and so forth. That being said, the uh, 15% tariffs on steel have helped the U.S. steel industry, and we just went through a bit of a labor dispute because the steel workers want some of those gains that the steel industry has gotten out of it passed on to them, not kept by the uh, shareholders. But it certainly has helped the U.S. steel industry. But it's hurt U.S. steel users far more then it's helped the U.S. uh, steel industry. And one of the big steel users is the U.S. automobile industry or the North American 
automobile industry because our big three, and I'm still counting Dodge Jeep in that, our big three are operating in all three of the NAFTA and now USMCA countries. So it's impossible to disentangle. I would think that what was happening is GM has people looking forward strategically and was thinking, well, what's going to happen? We have to be ready if we move away from the one, two-car family model to this uh, self-driven cars and ride-sharing model. We have to be ready. And so there had to have been some planning for that. But if I had to guess, I would think that those plans were moved up in the wake of these sharply rising costs because of our tariffs on steel. Timothy Kehoe is a professor of economics at the University of Minnesota and is an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. His opinions are his own and do not reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank and the Federal Reserve System. Professor Kehoe, thanks so much for joining us again on Dialogue Minnesota. Thank you, Jim. We've been speaking with University of Minnesota economics professor Timothy Kehoe from his campus office. Next week on Dialogue Minnesota, a look at the U.S. civil rights movement in 1968 with University of Minnesota professor of African American and African Studies, Keith Mays. I'm Jim Dubois. Thanks for listening. See you next week.